Hello and welcome to the Region Agri podcast, the go-to place to hear everything about regenerative agriculture. Region Agri is an initiative supporting farms, agribusinesses and the supply chain in their transition to regenerative approaches. We do this globally with the aim of securing the health of the land and the wealth of those who live on it. For more information about our initiative and where to find out how we can help you with your regenerative journey, visit regionagri.org. I'm your host, Rose Riley, and once again, I'm excited to bring you the latest developments on the global phenomenon that is regenerative agriculture. With 18.4% of global greenhouse gas emissions coming from agriculture, forestry and land use, the Region Agri team have taken the action to launch our carbon standard, which enables farms and their supply chain to monitor and calculate emissions and sequestration of carbon. The aim is to generate Region Agri carbon credits, which can be traded in the global voluntary carbon market. So for this episode, we're talking all things carbon. Many regenerative practices inherently reduce carbon emissions or support sequestration of it in the soil. But with more food brands looking at emissions in their supply chain, there's an increasing need to understand greenhouse gas emissions and on-farm carbon storage. Today, I'm joined by Richard Guterbock, who has recently co-authored the Royal Agricultural Society of England's report, Farm of the Future, Journey to Net Zero. He's also the director of the Agri-Food Innovation Advisors Food Chains and brings experience from his work in both the agri-food and bioenergy sectors. We're also joined today by Charlie Curtis, training and consulting manager at the Cool Farm Alliance. The Cool Farm tool has been developed by the Cool Farm Alliance to measure carbon, biodiversity and water management on farm and forms part of the Region Agri Digital Hub. So thank you for joining me today, Richard and Charlie. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, Rose. Hi, Charlie. Hi Richard, hi Rose and thank you very much for inviting us today Rose, we're really looking forward to it. Absolute pleasure. It would be great if we could start with just a brief introduction to yourselves and how you have come to be working in the field of soil carbon. Yeah, so um, I'm the uh, training consulting manager for the Cool Farm Alliance, which is a group of businesses that have come together to create a carbon calculator for farms, which is called the Cool Farm Tool. Um, my background is that I'm an agronomist and um, I've worked for retailers such as Marks and Spencer. I've worked on farms and I've been working in the region ag space now for about 15 years. Brilliant. Thank you. And Richard? Yeah, my background is primarily working in the renewable energy sector, where I work with a range of businesses who are looking to decarbonize their business and build on-site biogas plants as part of that process. But more recently, I've been working with the Royal Agricultural Society of England as one of the uh, production team for a report called The Farm of the Future, which was published in March, looking at the technology and the innovation that is going to enable farmers to uh, start to decarbonize their businesses based on case studies and, and, and other input from a, a range of authors who contributed to the report. Brilliant. Thank you. So... Going straight into questions then about soil carbon, um, I wanted to ask what you think the level of awareness is now around um, emissions and carbon sequestration within the agricultural sector? I think that there is obviously growing awareness driven by a number of factors, media interest, uh, customer feedback to farmers, customer questions, and also the, you know, the, the variety of uh, Activities have been going on over the past two years, particularly the sort of the focus of COP last year. But also we have a, a dramatically changed landscape for farmers in terms of both energy and food security uh, driven by recent events. So I think there is growing awareness of the need 
to look at carbon as, as part of your agricultural systems, but also there's a danger that for some people it gets lost, lost in the fuzz of all the many other things that farmers are being asked to look at. No, I think I completely agree, actually. I think there's the, the demand for or the request by supermarkets to hit net zero, for NFU to hit net zero, has really shone a light on what net zero actually means within the farming industry. Um, and I think there's some fantastic opportunities now for farmers to sort of rebalance their operations. And, and we're seeing so much support across the board, actually, across the whole food uh, industry, actually, or the food supply chain. Um, and there's some absolute lighthouse examples out there, such as uh, Groundswell, for example, which I know, Richard, you were there as well, um, and you actually rose uh, last week, which is a really good way of spreading the word about what actually reducing emissions on farm looks like and how you can do it. Yeah, I, th I think that's a, a very important aspect that, you know, farmers themselves are busy going to events where they can learn more about the transition they're going to have to make. Groundswell is a, is a great example and just the way it's grown in the last five or six years from a, a small little event with a few people, um, perhaps primarily organic farmers, to, to now an event which is attended by opinion formers, ministers and a lot of farmers who are trying to find out what they have to do. Yeah, definitely. And I think didn't, what I loved about going was that it's that real sharing isn't it? Everybody's sharing their experiences, their knowledge. There's no protectionism. Nobody's worried about giving anything away. It's almost, well, I suppose that's why the word groundswell fits it so well, because it is a groundswell of knowledge and sharing. And, and I think it helps de-risk something that's, that's seen to be risky. You know, a lot of the farmers are concerned about making these transitions because they don't really know they haven't done it before or there isn't enough science on something. And so by just speaking to each other, they can share this information and learn, you know, what cover crops somebody's using or what tillage they're using. And it's it's better to speak to someone sometimes rather than just reading it, you know, in a book because it's real life. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things that I think we really enjoy about the regenerative agriculture space is the fact that it is very much about sharing and learning and collaboration rather than that kind of protected attitude. So in that spirit, I was interested to know your opinions on what methods you have seen that farmers are using to reduce emissions and sequester carbon, whether that's actually a farming method or whether it's about maybe using something like a renewable energy source. I think it's there's a spectrum in terms of both what farmers are looking to do and what, and what the opportunities that are, are out there. And I think, you know, that's perhaps one of the, the challenges that we need to put alongside the opportunity is that, that every farm is different. Every farmer is a different, in a different stage of the development of their business. And I think we shouldn't forget that agriculture is still about food production. And farmers need to be profitable if they're going to invest in change. You know, there's, there's a wonderful quote in the RESE report that, that I, uh, I was involved in, which, you know, it's, farmers can't be green if they're in the red. I think we have to have some fundamentals there, which is we need a profitable, well-structured agriculture system that if it's going to be able to take advantage of the opportunities created by carbon sequestration, by actually being involved in carbon mitigation for customers, because that's where a lot of the pressure is coming from. Well, I think you just stole my quote, Richard. I always say that. There's no point being green if you're in the red. I think that's absolutely it. I think regenerative farming is actually really about building in resilience. It's about building economic resilience. It's about building environmental resilience and that social aspect too. So I think there's exactly what you said. There's no point going too far on one if actually you still can't pay the bills at the end of the week. So 
I think the methods that I'm seeing is actually a lot of the people who use our tool are using it as a way of identifying where their emissions are on farm, where they can change. And you can use the tool to, to see how different behaviors will change your number as well. So if you went from a min-till to a no-till, et cetera, you can see how that looks. And I think that's a really good proven way of being able to make some of these changes. Um, but we're seeing lots of fantastic activity across the board. You know, We're seeing things like cover crops, lots of people looking at all the direct drills and the no-till drills at Groundswell and, and various events. And the fact that it's now featured in, in Farmers Weekly and the Farmers Garden, Guardian rather regularly shows that there's an appetite for it. And that's, whole, again, that collaborative and that sharing. Um, but for me personally, I see a lot of use in, these, in the carbon calculator. I absolutely think identifying where your emissions are helps you really spotlight on where you need to focus on your farm rather than trying to do everything at once. Yeah, and there was, a, there was a bit of a debate at Groundswell about sort of baselining carbon emissions, and I think that is pretty core to this. And I think the Northern Irish are going to actually fund a baseline on all farms, which is, you know, if you're, they can do that. But I think farmers need to know where they are with their carbon emissions now so that they can measure the actions that they want to take in the future to, re to reduce emissions. And one of the things we, we highlighted in the RESE report is the need to actually have transparency in carbon calculation and transparency in the marketplace for carbon. And one of my fears is that, you know, farmers who are relatively ignorant about the opportunity can easily be misled by people overselling a complex system they don't understand. And I think that's another reason why, you know, Cool Farm Alliance's approach is actually core to this, because we want an independent evaluator of carbon, not some sort of a hype sales opportunity that some farmers may fall for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's the, that's a concern for, for, for crop farmers, I think, across the board. But ben, baselining or benchmarking your first initial numbers is absolutely the best place to start. And at least then you can monitor how they change depending on what you change within your operations. And, you know, I know our data is based on the IPCC data. Um, you know, we have a, a whole science advisory team from various different universities, including Oxford and Cambridge. So we are always making sure that the data that we have is, is robust and it's rigorous. And we're, you know, I think what I particularly love about working for the Cool Farm Alliance is that it's a not-for-profit. It's there because we know that we need to have this tool in place to support the food system globally. Um, and that's what the Alliance is there for. And we're just about to start, which I'm super excited about, a regen um, agriculture working group within the Alliance as well, which we will be asking for um, people to come and volunteer to be part of that because we want to almost aim to try and standardise some of the measures that are across the board with support from technology. So definitely be speaking to Richard and his report to see how we can then um, roll this out globally. I was just going to add that it's challenging for farmers when they're being deluged with so much information about so many issues. You know, they've got cap reform, they've got, you know, methane reduction being imposed on livestock farmers. Nobody quite knows how it's going to happen. And, and then on top of that, you have the pressure from their customers. And, you know, it's, I think it's going to be interesting. The farmers who are closer to the marketplace, and by definition, that's going to be the perhaps the upper quartile who are, you know, producing the vast amount of, of output, are going to be the ones that are furthest down the sort of decarbonisation process. But, you know, there are multiple farmers all over the country who are beginning to sort of realise it's going to happen for them uh, and access 
either to you know advice from Cool Farm Alliance or hopefully some of the information we produce for Rays is, is I think a starting point and, and dissemination of that information to farmers at Groundswell and at demonstration farms and, and actually getting independent advice out to farms is crucial. And I think that's a key area where I don't think we've yet got the, the infrastructure in place. There's no longer an ADAS, there's no longer, uh, you know, sort of independent advice available to the extent that it was. So farmers need help in going to people to find out what they, the information they need to know. And that's where I think this concept of a spectrum comes in. Not everybody is going to go down re regenerative farming route, but they may pick up one or two examples or one or two initiatives that they've seen on neighboring farms. And then they need, need advice and, and encouragement and perhaps even some help to go through the pain of changing their system from something that they've been doing for 20, 30 years on the farm. Absolutely. Aside from the obvious societal benefits of helping to reduce agriculture's impact on the environment or even potentially to improve environmental outcomes such as levels of atmospheric carbon, what are, the, what are the tangible benefits on farm that farmers can see from taking action to actively sequester carbon into the soil? Well, I, th I think we've seen studies now that prove that actually by adopting more regenerative principles on farm, you are actually reducing the amount of uh, cost it takes to grow the crop. And in some cases now, I think I saw it in the, in the Guardian last week, your yields are actually maintained. So again, that's a really big, uh, obvious measure for a farm to use to see that actually it's costing less to produce the same. I mean, I think that's a really good driver to then continue to keep looking at other areas in the business that they can do that. And the corollary to that, of course, is, is costs. Costs are rising quite alarmingly in, in some areas, certainly fertiliser, energy, you know, and even with the uh, red diesel subsidy, which I'm hoping we're going to have a, an end to fairly soon, and you know, that's going to have to happen. You know, farmers are facing significant heights in, in costs. So being able to manage costs better, being able to actually control your inputs more effectively. And I think input, input management is going to be a key part of this. And I mean, just going back to the raised report, I think we highlighted sort of four areas where farmers are going to have to focus what, what they do. In addition to soil management and, and sequestration and biodiversity, you also have the issue of protection of rivers, protection of rural resources. It's fascinating to see how many farmers are now working together in catchment groups to help protect water resources. But then you have the whole issue of the technology that you're going to be used, the changes that are going to happen in agri-tech in the next few years are going to be extraordinary. I mean, robotic farm vehicles were being demonstrated at Groundswell. A gantry system was being proposed 30 years ago by Silso, and it's now been developed by a German manufacturer of farm equipment, so that we're really going to make strides in controlled traffic farming, but really quite quickly. Uh, and then there's the whole issue of energy. You know, the reason the RASE produced this report was because we wrote a report back in 2014 looking at the farmer as a supplier of energy. And I think that's even more relevant. Farmers need to be thinking about how they supply the energy for their vehicles, whether it's electricity to run small robotic vehicles or whether it's biomethane to run tractors in future. Because, you know, whether it's biomethane or hydrogen, the tractor of the future is not going to be running on diesel. So I'd love to hear how farmers can actually access relevant information about carbon on farms. Well, from my side, uh, we are now setting up a consultancy 
um, that will be available for farmers and free for our members as well, which is just basically talking through the calculator with them and explaining what that looks like, why certain things have certain numbers, why you're inputting uh, data into that and what, what, what to do with that result, because I think that's the big thing and the challenge that I've found over the last few years is I've run a report for someone else. The farmers, as, as you were saying earlier, you know, the farmers are doing these, these emission calculators for their customer and they haven't quite figured out how to make it work for them. And that's what we now want to do. We want to sit with the farmers and actually work through their reports with them and explain how this is beneficial filling in that documentation. It's not just another tick box exercise because it can't be. We need change and we need it on scale. And the only way to do that is to, is to realize where the value is. So we offer a consultancy service now and a training service. We're setting up lots of different e-learnings. We're putting out booklets. I feel like there is a, absolutely a massive gap, exactly what you identified earlier, Richard, between, I suppose, one end where the farmer is on the farm just doing his stuff, trying to get through the day, and then what's expected within that producing and manufacturing circle. So we're hoping to bridge that gap. Uh, with this new service that we are going to be creating and it won't just be uk it's going to be global and, and it has to be again because we import an awful lot of stuff but we also export quite a lot of stuff as well but i think we have to consider you know that the farmers have to see this as value for them because you know it's a heavily subsidized industry and if it's it's completely unsustainable as it stands at the moment farms need to reevaluate their farming business and and start to make a profit you know and, and i think how was it even I watched Jeremy Clarkson on, on Amazon the other day and he only made what was it, 144 pounds profit at the end of his season. And that's a real measure of what's going on on farms at the moment. Yet the food industry in the UK is worth over 200 billion. So something's going wrong here. And we only deliver is it was it nine, nine billion a year to the economy, 0.6% GDP is farming. Yeah, so we have to reevaluate everything. We've got to realign our systems. We've got to look and diversify through various different formats to fund this. I absolutely think that retail um, and people and actors within the food supply chain or supply chains need to support from the bottom up on because it's otherwise the risk is very much all on the farmer so what we're trying to do is de-risk them as well and de-risk that through training through education through knowing more about all these things that they're being asked of i i totally agree and i, and I would I'll go further and say that you know communication with farmers has to change um, you know, many of the younger farmers are very social media savvy. We we at Ray's produced a large report, but we've tried to put it online in a way that's navigable. But actually getting the information into farmers has to be in bite-sized chunks. And I think, you know, maybe one of the things that uh, all of us involved on this uh, blog could be, could be looking at is how actually the three organizations collaborate to actually get some of this information out to farmers. I mean, the RSE report is very UK focused, but agriculture is an international industry as, as Charlie's just said and if I'm a, a retailer or a food processor I need to know that the scope three carbon emissions are being from my suppliers are being tackled not only in this country but elsewhere so international yes but I do think there needs to be a big focus on getting British farmers up to speed giving them the tools and the information they need and I think also some fairly fundamental infrastructure issues like rural connectivity if you're going to be you know, relying on robotics or AI to help you make decisions on your farms, we need to know that there is the infrastructure out there to do that. And, and the whole concept of knowledge transfer, not knowledge transfer, farm dis dissemination, multiple groundswells maybe, but also actually small farm-based seminars, 
study groups and, and actually demonstration farms. If you think back to the uh, 80s and 90s, there were actually farms demonstrating you know, the then model, modern technology of how you use pesticides and other things. And we need to get back to that sort of situation of actually enabling farmers to actually go and see what their neighbours are doing, what the, the sector leaders are doing, so that they can work out how they can then transfer that back to their farms. And again, it comes back to having a carbon tool that everybody trusts, rather than actually, you know, every farmer doing something different and there being no interface between the systems. Absolutely. And do you know what? You just absolutely hit the nail on the head for me as well on something, because one of my biggest frustrations that I hear in certain circles is how do we get farmers to do something? You don't get farmers to do something. You have to work with them. This is a collaboration across yeah. the board. You know, and, and some of the frustrations, oh, we'll get far, we'll ask. No, you have to realise that actually farming is, is a livelihood. You know, everything's involved in that. You and I could lose our jobs today, but we'll go and get another one. Yeah. it's not necessarily the same for the farmer so every time we go on site with a new audit or a new requirement we have to remember that we're asking them to risk everything and it may not be that risky but we're still asking them to do something and actually the future of this and the success of this is this collaborations all the way through amongst us three here but also with retailers and farmers with producers and farmers because at the end of the day there's no point not supporting these guys you're not going to be able to sell a blt in your supermarket if you can't actually source any b l or t yeah it just is it's just one of those obvious things isn't it so let's stop putting farmers somewhere over there and something what we tell what to do but bring them in they are the most important person in all our supply chains 95 percent of our food comes from the soil yeah so without farmers we're going to all be really hungry so we need to figure out how to how to get that relationship back and, and put it back and put it right Sorry, Richard. No, I couldn't agree more. I, I I feel that too often communication to farmers and about farmers is overtly patronising, and 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 you know particularly in the media that you know farmers get blamed for everything that's not necessarily their fault, but actually they are price takers in the current market, and actually what car the carbon market creates is an opportunity for them to be much more in control of their position in the food chain. But it needs investment and it, it needs communication with farmers in a way that people aren't telling them what to do. But as you said, they're, they're being encouraged to do something because it's good for their business and it protects the long term security of what is a family enterprise. And, you know, farmers are one of the few businesses that think two or three generations ahead. Absolutely. And, and that's the saying I was trying to remember. The farmer buys everything at retail, sells everything at wholesale and pays the freight both ways and that's exactly it at the moment and what we need to do is figure out how we can reevaluate people's perception of food so that farmers get paid more that they were willing to innovate to pay for some of the new machines that we've seen you know these robotics which just look incredible um but we also have to do that with speak with our own purses and wallets because we all go supermarket shopping and we all look for the cheapest products um but that of course isn't really helping the long-term survival of our farming industry and it's our industry you know, it saddens me to realise that actually we lose a person a week to suicide. It's the third most um, highest fatalities in an industry within the UK is farming. So we've got to go back to basics. We've got to listen to farmers and walk with them and be with them, like charities like the FCN, for example, so that we're there, we're listening and we learn so we can help strengthen what is an incredible industry within the UK. I couldn't agree more. And I would just say that's why trying to do things on a collaborative basis is going to be helpful and I think you know it, we need to be you know perhaps as a country we've, we've neglected the the opportunity for cooperation at farm level and we don't have the 
you know the, the vast cooperatives that they have in France or elsewhere. But I think what we do have in, in farming is a community spirit. And if we can tap into that community spirit and the pride in the catchment area where farmers are farming or the, the region or the special crops that are grown on a farm and, and get groups working together with the likes of, of yourselves, with, with other bodies, so that they're learning from each other, but also they've got access to independent advice you know, that doesn't have a, a sales pitch at the end of it. A lot of really interesting points in there. And it makes me think about where the responsibility lies in helping with funding the decarbonisation of, of agriculture. You mentioned, Charlie, the, the, the sort of spending power of the consumer. And I think that that phrase, it's hard to go green when you're in the red, that's really relevant to, to the British consumer at the moment with the way that the financial climate is changing in the UK mm. and the cost of living is going up. And I think there's an awful lot of people who have very good intentions but maybe can't afford the premium that currently comes with more environmentally friendly produced goods. So I'd be interested to understand aside from schemes like region agri-carbon credits what other options there are for farmers to help them to to fund their decarbonisation. I think first of all we need to stop wasting so much food (laughs) because that's that's the biggest thing let's let's be honest we waste what is it a third of all our food that we grow so actually if we stop wasting things then we probably value it we'll probably appreciate our food a bit more and be and may have more money to spend on more quality food rather than anything else but i i absolutely get that at the moment times are really tough you know and money is short across the board so i think we all have to take responsibility for our own part that we play um for me it's you know for what i do for my family is making sure that they're all fed with good healthy food um, for a farmer, it's looking at his business and saying, you know, actually, do I do I need to be doing all these things that I'm doing? But also, the government have come out with lots of different grants that are all about there at the moment. There's lots of other options. There's there's funding coming from lots of different places. We need to get to a point though where regeneratively grown food or organic food doesn't come with a premium because that's how we grow all our food. Absolutely. You know, that's where we need to get to. And, and there's lots of squabbling going on about different standards at the moment and everything else. But, we should just be this is how we farm it shouldn't be a, a special thing that we have to make a choice to do and i think in some cases as far as retail uh, consumers are concerned they automatically think that that's where it's coming from anyway you know i don't think the consumer necessarily completely understands the full food supply chain and i think you know you, you can see it in the eyes of the kids at the most amazing events you know the, the leaf open farm sundays where you get thousands of people coming onto farms who've never seen or witnessed where stuff comes from that's incredibly powerful. You know, when you've got kids who don't realise that bacon comes from a pig, then we know our food system is, is broken. So it's, it's actually bringing people back onto farms so that we appreciate and value our food a lot more. I mean, we won't waste so much, so there'll be more money available for people to invest, particularly within the retail sphere. But that's my personal view. Anyway, Richard, save me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, farmers, farmers have a great story to tell. And, and sometimes the tor- the sto- their stories are told in, in unflattering ways by people with other aims when they tell the story. And I think the best person to tell a consumer about what goes on on a farm is the farmer. And the best way to demonstrate it is to show it. So, you know, I, it would be good to see more evidence of improved media coverage of the, of the, farm, of the farming industry. But you can't control that. So you can only do what you can do. And that is that the younger generation of farmers, who I think are much more media savvy, much more into their social media. Um, there was a great item on uh, on the, the, the TV a couple of days ago about a, a young dairy farmer in Guernsey who blogs her, her activities with her Guernsey cows. Farmers need to find ways to communicate 
to the public and to their customers. That's something that, that they can do. But in terms of the message for decarbonization from regenerative farming, regenerative farming is farming. All we're doing is actually harping back to perhaps how agriculture was done maybe a couple of generations ago. And these days you've got to give a name to it. And actually it's a very effective way of making people focus. But farming itself has to shift away from excessive reliance on on fossil fuels and uh, fossil fuel derived products to greater use of renewable energy. Farmers have the opportunity to produce that renewable energy on their own farms, whether it's biomass, biogas or, or, or other ways. And, and they have to look at the technology. And the, I mean, what I find really exciting is the speed at which technology is changing. My concern is that it perhaps is almost racing too fast ahead of the ability of the farmer to embrace it. And that means that we have to think about how things are done. For instance, I've been doing a bit of work with a small robot company and the way that they are looking to do what they call per plant farming, actually controlling weeds and boosting the, the performance of plants on an individual plant basis and providing that as a service. So you don't buy the equipment, you buy the service. I think those sort of things are going to come into play. And we have to find a way of modernizing the way in which farming moves its products around the country and the way and what it uses as fuel on farms, because at the moment we're stuck with diesel and, you know, that cannot continue much longer. You both touched there on the point of how farming is is perceived in the media. And I actually, uh, in one of the recent episodes of the podcast, spoke to a journalist, Anna Jones, about how re- uh, regenerative agriculture is perceived. And we were talking exactly about the fact that the pressure that the media is under at the moment, under a sort of 24-hour news cycle, does lead to some fairly sensationalist headlines and a very simplified understanding for a lot of people of a very complex issue. You know, that the, the um, envir- environmental impact of the cow, for example, is a, is a classic example there. And, you know, the saying it's not the cow, it's the how is, um, I think, a, a very relevant one there. So it's, it's important to, uh, to make sure that when people are trying to understand the impact of agriculture on climate change um, and issues around soil carbon, that they do appreciate that it is quite a nuanced and, and complicated issue that isn't just about the headlines that we see. I think, I think you're right, but equally, the, the story behind I'm a farmer and I'm looking after the environment is very powerful. And if farmers can be encouraged to talk about the way they manage the countryside alongside the way they produce the food and, and some of the technologies that are out there and some of the ideas that are being discussed, such as robotics, which we mentioned, but also growing trees alongside crops, looking at the way in which we change the way we, we feed farm animals so that they produce less methane. That's perhaps part of the problem. There are so many things that need to be done and, and those stories aren't really going to be always sympathetically picked up by the press. But I think the, the, the answer is the farming industry has to, has to find a way of getting on with it, adapting to new technology, finding ways to change for the better, um, but also trying to make sure that it generates value from what it's doing. And I think this is where we come back to, to, to the, you know, the carbon capture and the carbon market. If correctly managed with the transparency and everything else, farmers can get an additional revenue stream from the carbon they're capturing in their soils. And and we have the baseline information so they can demonstrate that. And they can then pass food up the supply chain with detailed knowledge about its carbon impact and 
maybe reduce the carbon impact of the crops themselves. You know, that's a good story that needs to be told, but the industry's got to get it right first. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's one that we're seeing incredible enthusiasm for from food and fibre brands. Um, So not just people producing food, but also those using cotton in the fashion industry, that they are very keen to, with their net zero targets, to understand what the carbon emissions of their of their supply chain are and how maybe using something like a carbon credit can help them to um to incentivize their their farm suppliers to take a decarbonizing approach in what they're doing so i think that's absolutely right and the work i've been doing for the past two years with brewdog which has been all about helping them decarbonize their brewery up in scotland based on on renewable energy you know, now that they've addressed the carbon impact of their brewery, they're now looking at the people who supply them with malting barley and their other ingredients, not only because they want those produced in a low carbon regenerative way, but they also want them transported to the factory in a way that doesn't use fossil fuels. So there will be huge pressure coming from bakers, milk producers, milk creameries, breweries, distilleries, all of those businesses who are major buyers of uh, ingredients from farmers but at the same time the farmers have to be have to find a way of being more in control of their management of carbon than they are necessarily in terms of the price that they get paid for the commodities they produce yeah it harks back to your point charlie that we can't tell farmers what they've got to do or get them to do what we want it's about those supply chains working together collaboratively to achieve the the desired outcome collectively of, of a decarbonized supply chain from agriculture. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think farmers within the media are used to being vilified, aren't they? There's always a bad story about a farm somewhere, which is a shame because if you think about how many farms are in the UK or in the world, it's just another ex- one example that sort of then casts a grey shadow across all the others. But I think farmers need to get a bit tougher, a bit more robust when it comes to social, you know, social media and all sorts of media. And actually just keep sending out all the positive stuff because there's so much stuff that's going on that is incredible. Every time I open up on Twitter or something, I see something and I'm blown away. Or, you know, I go to a talk with someone, Merlin Sheldrake. Oh, my gosh. Soil fungus is the most amazing thing in the whole world. You know, and I've come back and I've read his book again. And I just think I got I was so inspired by something that actually is so you don't even see it. So I suppose that's. But if we get to promote these stories and tell kids, tell families, tell people what's going on in the soil, you know, what carbon in the soil is doing for the planet and why we need to do it, then actually people will start to see that farmers are, it's it's a climate job. It's not just a farming job. You know, they're doing things that clean the air. It cleans the water. You know, we've got so many amazing farmers out there doing some really cool stuff. That's what needs to be in the media. The problem is the minute you go in the media, you are up for all sorts of speculation, as we see across the board. It doesn't matter what the story is. There's always somebody on there with a negative comment. And I think we've just got to get a bit tougher, really, and just take them on the chin a bit and just keep pumping out all the amazing stuff, because it's just incredible what we're seeing in this in this sphere at the moment. And people taking risks, new people coming into the industry. You know, the, the average age of a farmer in the UK is 59. So we need to inspire the next generation to want to come and work on farms and not just be land agents or land managers, but actually be the guys who go out there and bring all these new ideas. So I think social media is going to become quite an important part of that. You know, and that's I love it. And I love reading what I read on social media and farming. And it keeps me passionate daily about what's going on in this industry. 
and which means that when I go and talk to farmers, I've, I've got more information to give them and I'm equally as passionate and hopefully get them just as passionate back, if that makes sense. There's a room full of passion. Farmers, can you imagine? <laughs> but it's important, you know, because what we're doing is we're doing so many amazing services. We're feeding people, we're clothing people, we're housing people, we're cleaning the air, we're cleaning the water. That is almost the core of life, isn't it? Farming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Richard, with regards to your work with um, race, I'm really interested to hear if there is a, a snippet or a particular element from the Farm of the Future report that you could maybe share with us. I'd quite like to mention a quote that we have in the Raise report from Caroline Drummond, who, as you know, passed away far too young last month. But in, in writing for the report, she said the following. We need ambition, leadership, belief and a practical can-do approach to change, not only looking to achieve net carbon zero, but also to enrich our environment, habitats and nature while ensuring profitable businesses and an actively connected society. Now is the time for change. And I think we need more leadership like that coming from farming voices, you know, saying that we can do it. And, and LEAF has been a great example of that for, for many years. They were ahead of the curve before even the word regenerative farming had been in, or invented. So there are a lot of people out there who are trying to help farmers along this route. And uh, the more that the sort of coming generation of farmers can get the information they need to make those changes. And also, let's be absolutely crucial about this they need to be able to afford to make the changes and so we need to look at innovative technology that is not inflationary you know farming is a low margin industry so we have to find technologies that fit into existing production systems you know we're, we're asking farmers to change but we want them to adapt we don't want them to switch to have to switch from you know a diesel tractor to a heavy battery electric tractor it's, there's got to be some transition technologies out there to help people move from where they are now to where we need them to be you know really by 2030 we need to have fully removed fossil fuels from a lot of activities on farms by 2030. And I think in that sphere it's so exciting I've seen that Barclays have got the Eagle Lab that they now support and fund and train these startup companies with new technologies for um, for agriculture. You've got Lyat and, and Simon Pearson at the University of Lincoln also developing technologies for agriculture. And what's brilliant is that they're creating the bridge between academia and farm. So we're not just inventing things and then hoping that they'll fit into a farming scenario. We're looking at farming systems and saying, what do we need to develop to support exactly what you're just saying, Richard, that transition. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and they've produced some incredible um, pieces of technology coming out of it. I saw one of the chaps, um, uh, AgriSound for the bee guy, and he's he was on Channel 4 the other day, you know, they were all incubated in these small little um, pockets of, of, of support. So more and more of that is needed. You know, Tesco's have got a tea jam, MS have just launched theirs. It's brilliant because these startups will then be able to scale up and be available for everybody within our industry. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, the, the excitement that is out there, I think people who are, are suddenly realising that actually working in the agri-food sector is exciting again and, and uh, it's not only the people that we you know getting the right young people working on farms agriculture needs to bring the brightest engineers the brightest communicators the brightest uh, it people into the industry because we need their expertise to make things happen absolutely in fact that's it there's most of the, the graduates that i meet now don't come through an agricultural university 
they've come from studying something completely different but we need all these different skills on farm from exactly what you said biology it data science and it's i think what we're seeing is a passion for farming across so many different disciplines and that really really excites me because then they're supporting decisions i make so now when i go on a farm i've got some kit i've got some tool but i've also got some data that validates what I'm talking about. And that really helps us de-risk any changes, but also then adds credibility to the data that we're producing. So to finish up, I'd be really keen to know if you've got just a snippet of advice for anyone who's starting their journey of measuring carbon on farm or trying to take active steps towards decarbonisation on farm. For me, it's just plan. Don't try and boil the ocean. Okay, that's impossible. You've got to just plan and take your time. This is going to be a bit of a marathon. Okay, let's not run off because you need to plan, you need to measure, you need to have set KPIs or monitoring so that you can see what you're doing has a change. Trying to do too many things at once, you often lose sight of what has actually driven that change or that benefit. So it is very much about really carefully planning, um, which is what I say with our farm, my, our farmers. We sit down with them and we create a really clear strategy proposal of where they want to be this year what they can do what's the low-hanging fruit versus the 10-year plan and and take it from there it's very easy to get carried away we've all done it i've myself tried to do so many things at once and then when something's been really successful i don't know what happened why you know which factor i'd changed because i changed too many so then you go back again because if we remember farming is yearly so you've only got one shot really to try it in a season before you can do it the next year so by purposefully planning, I suppose there's all the P's, isn't there here, um, then actually you can start to see and, and make change and monitor it. Well, I would just say, is that farmers should carry on doing what they always do, which is talk to their neighbours and their, their colleagues, you know, learning from each other with mentors and decent advice and decent documentation to help people. They're going to have to tailor any advice they get from any external source to their particular requirements, be it the state of the farm, the, the climatic conditions, the, the, the size of the farm, the, the sectors they're in. Networks, collaboration, mentoring, access to advice. And I think one of the things we do need to do is to get government to put their hand in the pocket and help fund demonstration farms around the country so that farmers have got the ability to go to a, a farm, which, you know, could, could be, you know, within easy driving distance where they can see some of the techniques and the technologies that they will need to apply on their farm being demonstrated in similar conditions. I think you forgot podcasts, Richard. <laughs> well, actually, though, I, joking aside, I listen to podcasts a lot and I know a lot of the guys who I work with do because we're, we are out in fields quite a lot. We're driving around a lot and there's a fantastic richness that you can get from just listening to conversations like this as you're driving through. So I think podcasts are a really good way of sharing message across an industry that spends a lot of time on its own. You know, we don't always have the time to go off on a, you know, and do certain things. We can do webinars sometimes, but podcasts are a fantastic way of learning and I'm an avid listener. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thanks very much. It's been fascinating and hopefully some of what we said will strike a chord with a few people and will help them think how they're going to change their business in the future. Couldn't agree more. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Regen Agri podcast. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, please find the links in the show notes. If you would like to know more about how the Regen Agri initiative can help you on your regenerative journey from advisory services, monitoring of on-farm data and regenerative certification through to carbon verification, 
please visit regionagri.org. There you can also check out our case studies and articles and gain access to our digital hub for free insight and advice. Alternatively, follow us on Twitter at regionagri underscore CU or search for regionagri on LinkedIn and Instagram.